He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatments for them and bring their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show his indignation against his enemies." For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens following one in the midst eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts And the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and shall see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations. To Tarshish, Pul, and Lud, who draw the bow. To Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers and all the nations, and from all the, from all the nations, as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and, and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, So shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. This is the word of the Lord.
Isaiah sees the day when the new heavens, the new earth will be established. The day when God makes all things right. Isaiah 66 opens with a reminder that that heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool. When you see this picture, God enthroned in the heavens with his feet resting upon the earth. The picture is supposed to remind us and show us that God has no need of us. And yet, he regards the humble and the contrite in spirit, the one who trembles at his word. Do you tremble at God's word? Now, I understand your difficulty. I'm I'm just a messenger. I don't sound or appear very impressive. Why would you tremble at anything I say? Don't tremble at me. But what I declare is the word of the Lord. Tremble at what God says. Isaiah speaks of this time when Zion will bring forth a male child, a son, and then suddenly a nation will be brought forth in a moment. The male child is our Lord Jesus. And the nation brought forth at a mom- in a moment is what happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and suddenly there's a nation of God-fearing people who worship the Lord, who are brought forth in a moment and then Next thing you know, the gospel is spreading like wildfire across the Roman world and across Africa and across the Middle East and into Asia and into Europe. And next thing you know, there's this amazing community of the people of God. And you think about what Isaiah is talking about in his day and how God's own people had turned away to such an extent that he's saying those who are bringing sacrifices to the temple are like those who sacrifice a pig. I mean, pigs are unclean animals. So like, boy, all right, this is like, you are, you've so, so forgotten the ways of the Lord that God thinks of you as those worse than Gentiles, worse than the heathens. And yet now the new creation has dawned in Jesus Christ. And for now, in our day, it is by faith, that we walk, not by sight. We don't see everything under his feet yet, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might t- taste death for everyone as Hebrews 2.9 tells us. Now, this sort of heavenly-mindedness that, that Isaiah speaks of is not unique to Isaiah. Solomon had said at the dedication of the temple, heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Solomon understood that the earthly temple points us to the heavenly temple. Our New Testament lesson comes from Colossians chapter 3. Hear now the word of our God from Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, 
sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, I, I, I gave you my little three-circle illustration. And as we go through Colossians 3, I'm going I'm to keep doing this because I, it's, I think it's a helpful way of thinking because it's how Paul thinks of human persons. And so it's helpful to think the way Paul does about this because Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit, so he's, he's right. But... Think of think of the human person as you have your you have your inner self, your sort of the core of who you are. Paul will talk about this as the the inner man, the the heart, mind. He'll use different words for it, but it's the thing that's at the core of who you are, and that's so that's that's the first circle. Second circle is what Paul sometimes calls the flesh. Um, this is drives, desires, habits, patterns, sort of those sorts of things that that are sort of part of that. And then the outer circle is our thoughts, words, deeds, sort of the surface of our lives, the ways in which we engage with others, God, even self. But these three circles are then, we, we saw last time, you have to connect that first circle, who you really are. You were in Adam. You were dead in your sins. And as in Adam, dead in sin, you're corrupt. And this, the fall brought all mankind into an estate of sin and misery. And so, not surprisingly, the flesh, that second circle, is also corrupt. And not surprisingly, that affects everything we do. <laughs> so, in Christ, we have been made new. So when Paul talks about how you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, this is talking about the inner man, the, that, that inner circle. In Christ thinking of the cross as what connects these two circles, two sets of circles, that we are no longer who we once were in the inner man, in the core of who you are, you have died and you are now alive in Christ Jesus. That's the, so the inner circle is no longer black and dark and dead. You, that old man has died and you are now alive in Christ. And in Christ, we still have the flesh, 
the flesh, uh, Paul will also talk about this as the outer man. Uh, the, the outer man is, it's referring to um, certainly our, our, as long as we are in the flesh, as long as we have this, our, our current bodily existence, this is, we have the, you might say, our, our, our outer man is wasting away, to use Paul's phrase elsewhere. That, and that's where what he, it's what he talks about here in, in chapter 3 when he says, put to death what is earthly in you. You're like, wait a second, I thought you said we were dead. But how do we put to death if we're dead? Well, it's because, yes, in our inner man, we have died and been raised with Christ. But in our outer man, and actually, this is, this is, it's really easy to explain this because um, pinch yourself. I mean, are you, do you feel something? Yeah, okay. Your outer man is wasting away. Are you, are you going to die someday? Yes. Okay, that means you don't have your resurrection bodies yet. If you don't have your resurrection bodies yet, if you have not been raised from the dead physically, we have been raised in Christ, but this is by faith, not yet by sight. Now, to make, make really clear, by faith doesn't mean sort of, in principle, or there's sort of, oh, well, you know, someday it will happen. By faith means that it is, because we have been connected to Christ by faith, it has really happened. We're not talking about sort of like, oh, someday it will happen. The, The someday it will happen is the resurrection of the body. But you have already been raised with Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ, Paul starts off our chapter. He says, if this has already happened, and oh, by the way, in, in, in Greek, there, there's two different ways of saying if. One of them is the if, which isn't really true. And the other one is if, which is the case. Well, this is the, that's why some translations translate this since. Because this is the if that says, if this is the case, and it is... <laughs> So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. You see, Paul's been talking in Colossians about who Christ is. We, we saw this in chapter 1, that in, in Christ, he, I mean, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were made. All things are sustained by him. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the firstborn of creation. He is the firstborn from the dead. So that in all things he might have preeminence. And in chapters 1 and 2, he continued to set forth what Christ has done. He has reconciled you to the Father through his death. So that you might be presented pure and blameless before him. He has circumcised you through baptism, snipping off the old man, granting you new life and forgiveness of sins. He has utterly defeated all of the enemies that held you captive, making a mockery of them on the cross. Sin, death, and the devil are defeated foes. We've we've heard of who Christ is and what Christ has done, and now we are beginning to learn of what this means for who we are in Christ and what that means does to our lives since you have died with christ paul says therefore you have died to sin and since this is true you are no longer to live the way you once did your whole perspective on life should change because you are not who you once were now this is where we need to remember that the christian life is does not is not based upon 
our experience or feelings, sort of, this is where the inner man is not about how you feel. In our modern day, everything, it's all about sort of you, how you feel, what you, you know. no, no. The inner man is not based on how you feel. The inner man is based on what is true. What God, because that's where in Adam, because that's why I, I notice I, I say what is true. Those who are in Adam, their inner man is still corrupt. For those who are in Christ, you are no longer who you once were. Now, how you feel and how you think will be shaped by this. But those are, those are things related to our, our outer man, you might say. Those are things related to this sort of what's our experience, what's our understanding. That comes, that flows out. But what God has done in Jesus Christ is, you might say, simply a historical fact. This is what God has done in Jesus and so the imperatives of the Christian life, the commands to seek the things that are above, the commands to put to death, the commands to live before God in a certain way, this is all rooted in this new reality of who we are in Christ, this new identity, this new truth about who we are. Since you have been united to Christ, live like it, or simply be who you are in Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what does this mean? to be united to Christ, what does it mean that his life has become ours? Well, today let's look at two things. First, what does it mean to be heavenly minded? What does it mean to seek those things that are above? But also, what does it mean to die and be raised with Christ? And I want you to think carefully about what Paul says here in verse 1. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God does that even mean? We confess that Jesus was raised from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. There is now a man who is sitting at the right hand of God. One who is true God and true man sits at the right hand of the Father. And Paul says that you have been raised with Christ. You have been joined to the life of Christ you were buried with him in baptism, chapter 2, verse 12, made alive together with him, chapter 2, verse 13. And so Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things where Jesus is. Set your minds on things that are above. John Chrysostom once said that Paul is always bent on showing that the people he's writing to have the very same things that Christ has. Through all his epistles, the tenor is this, to show that in all things they are partakers with him. John Chrysostom understood Paul's epistles well. What does Paul mean by things above? Well, part of it is you need to help, you need to understand what he means by things on earth. What does Paul mean by earthly? Well, just look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. 
What does Paul mean by earthly? Well, look at what he says next. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these you too once walked when you were living in them. So in this context, when Paul says earthly, he's not talking about earth as it was created by God. He's talking about earth as it is in rebellion against God, that which is hostile to God. Now, you might say, well, Paul, you're being confusing. Why don't you just say sinful things? If Paul said sinful things, you wouldn't understand what he's getting at. Paul's not saying good versus bad, righteousness versus sinfulness. He's using a vertical comparison, up and down. And that's important. The right hand of God, verse 1, is contrasted with earth, verse 2. This is why we read Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. It's why we sang Psalm 11, because this, if Paul said, set your mind on good things, righteous things, not bad things, think about what that, how that would sound. Try to be a better person, would you? That's not his point at all. Paul is not writing about the power of positive thinking. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, set your minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seek the heavenly things. Hmm. Sounds a lot like what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The difference is simply that when Jesus said it, Jesus had not yet ascended to the right hand of the Father. But now that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, Paul says the same thing. Seek the things that are above. Seek the things where Christ is. The Christian must not be earthly minded. We cannot focus on the things of this age. We must be centered on the things of Christ. Now, some people have taken this the wrong way. Some people think this means, oh, we should completely ignore the affairs of daily life and just wander around in a muddle-headed maze. But they misunderstand what it means to sink the things that are above. Paul's going to spend the rest of the chapter talking about how to relate to one another in the church, in the home, in, at your work. So he's not ignoring everyday life. But he is telling us to be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. I know. You've heard that before as, oh, you shouldn't, no, no. No, he's telling you, you must be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. What does earthly mean? Rebellion against God. Earthly means opposed to God. I mean, so let me give you an example of, of what it means to be heavenly-minded in my, in my life right now. Right now, I'm, I'm trying to bridge a gap between one group in South Bend that is concerned about lead poisoning and another group that's devoted to historic preservation of old buildings. You're not going to get more mundane than that. This is very just sort of, sort of very obviously sort of stuff that's happening in the world. But I'm trying to bridge that gap in a heavenly-minded way. 
when you seek the things that are above, it completely transforms everything you do. Because everything you do in word or deed, verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So it's not at all saying, sort of, ignore everyday things. Paul is saying, no. In everything you do, in all the everyday things you do, you should be heavenly minded. You should be setting your minds and hearts on things above. Okay, how do you do this, Pastor? Come on, help us out a bit. Well, in the midst of your daily routine, set your heart and mind on Christ. You find your identity and purpose in Christ and not in the rat race of life. When your kids are driving you nuts, remember who you are in Christ. When your husband's blowing a fuse, remember that God's grace is sufficient for you. When your co-workers are sniping at you behind your back, find your contentment in Christ's promises. So what are these things above? What are you to set your heart and mind on? Paul says these are the things where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God which we read about in Isaiah 66. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Or as the psalmist says, the Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. When we're told to set our minds on things above, we are being told to orient ourselves to the way things really are. You see, heaven is not some sort of ethereally distant place with nothing relevant to do with anything in life. Heaven is where all the most important decisions in your life are made. Heaven is where God rules over all things. If our lives are to give glory to God, our lives must be centered on Him. Heaven's not some sweet, happy place where people sit around ignoring everything else and just... No, heaven is the most important place in your life. Heaven is where God's judgment is proclaimed. Heaven is where the immortal, invisible, only wise God determines the path of history. But that's not even remotely the most important reason why you should set your mind on things above. More important still is, heaven is where our Lord Jesus Christ is. Revelation 4 and 5 tells the story of the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. All through the Old Testament, the the prophets saw visions of God coming to earth. But in Revelation 4, John is told, come up here. First time a prophet was ever called to go up rather than God coming down. John is allowed to enter the heavenlies and see the heavenly throne. Talk about somebody who could set his mind on things above. He's seeing it with his eyes. How can John enter the heavenlies? Well, that's part of what Revelation 4 and 5 is showing. Because the lamb who was slain got there first. Once Jesus entered into the heavenly holies of holies, as he entered in through the blood of his own sacrifice, he has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The way into the heavenly holy of holies is now open in Jesus. And so John is told, come up here. This is the reason why Paul tells you to set your heart and mind on things above. Because it is in heaven that your hope resides. It is in heaven that your Savior has sat down at the right hand of the Father. And you have been made complete in Him. 
Your identity, your purpose in life, your whole future is found in heaven. Because when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Setting your mind on things above means renouncing earthly things. Renouncing the idolatries of your heart. Forsaking the pleasures of sin for the glories of knowing Christ and him crucified. Because you too have died. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you are in Christ, then you have died. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Think about Paul's image there. I have been crucified with Christ. Old me is dead. I've been crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, second circle, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You have died. That's not just a figure of speech. That's not something that happens in the future. This has already happened. Your old man is dead. Just as truly as Christ died on the cross, so also those who are united to him have died to sin. In your inner man, the core of who you are, you are dead to sin. The dominion of, the, of sin over you has been destroyed. Not just weakened, but destroyed. You are no longer who you once were. You have put on Christ. You have put on the new self, as Paul says in verse 10 here. Your, your basic identity, your heart, your life, who you are has changed. The old self died with Christ. Your new life is hidden with Christ in God. And that language of being hidden with Christ in God means that you are safe in him. And when Christ appears, you also will appear with him in glory. This is why you need have no fear whatsoever when facing any of these situations you face in life. I know full well that my engagement with these various groups in South Bend could, could result in them, you know, some segment of that coming after me at some point when they find out what I really believe about certain things. So what? My life is hidden with Christ in God. And... So I'm called to love the Lord my God, love my neighbor as myself, and engage for the good of my community. As is, this is, I think Jeremiah provides a really good model for us in saying, seek the welfare of the city where God has you. And because that's where God's purpose in all of this is to bring his gospel to the nations. That's what we're about. And your life, is now hidden with Christ in God. And for this reason, Paul commands us to put to death whatever is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Do you tremble at God's word? (laughs) The wrath of God is coming on account of these. And in these, you two once walked when you were living in them. That was who you were. But now you must put them all away. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Notice this is this sort of this list of practices and patterns and habits that was that was once characteristic of you. Now, notice the fact that he says you have to put them away means that Paul knows that these things are troublesome to you. He's not saying that all these things went away when you had got your new life. If, if, if they all went away when you got your new life in Christ, then he wouldn't have to say, put them away. <laughs> the reason why he tells you to put them away, the reason why he says to kill them, is because he knows that these are still problems for us because he thinks of us as you've got your new life, you're in Christ, but you still got your flesh. You still got the things that belonged to the old man. You still have that outer self that is still causing us trouble. But Paul says that you, sh- you are to be so wrapped up in the new reality which Christ has given you that as you go through your daily life, everything you do and say is to overflow out of that new life. So put to death your members which are on the earth. Destroy whatever is left over from your old way of life. There is no place in the Christian life for idolatry of any sort. Since you have died with Christ, therefore put to death whatever remains of those old sinful patterns and idolatries. Paul warns in verse 6, the wrath of God is coming precisely because of these things. Precisely because their hearts and minds are fixed, were once fixed upon earthly sinful things in which you used to walk, in the life you once lived. But you don't live that life anymore. You died, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. Really what Paul's saying is that your heart and mind are to be so focused on the things of Christ that you have nothing left to focus on sin with. Beloved, this this is what Christ has done for you. He has forgiven you all your sins. He has washed you clean. He has now called you into newness of life, placing His own life within you by His Holy Spirit. This is who you are in Christ. So let's act like it. God promises that He will provide the grace in every situation. He promises that He will help, but So don't let Satan fool you into thinking that you have to remain a slave to sin. Christ says you no longer belong to this world. You belong to him. So when those evil desires well up in your heart, put them to death. Set your heart and mind on things above. Set your heart and mind on Jesus Christ because he has joined you to himself. You might, well, but I I fail so often. I'm I'm too earthly-minded. I'm all wrapped up in my earthly pursuits. I, I don't even know how to get on track. Well, Christ has given us many ways to get on track. And the most basic of them is actually what we're doing today. As we gather together in worship, remember who you are. In the early church and in much of the Reformation, the, the church actually maintained daily worship. There was... You, 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 every day you could be part of this corporate worship. But we only worship once a week, although there, between, I'll just, as we're starting up with another academy year, I'll just remember, remind you that if you happen to be somewhere near the area at 8.30 on a Wednesday morning, we have morning prayer here. Or if you're in the downtown area, we have 
morning prayer at the Kaler House on Monday mornings. Uh, so, and if there are other opportunities for sort of developing groups that get together, if, if, you, if you know of people who, hey, you know what, we, we, we wind up in the same area. Is it lunchtime? Is it morning before work? Look for opportunities to, to do this. But what we do on Sunday morning is supposed to overflow in everyday life. If you think about even our very structure of how we wor- do wor- worship, we confess our sins every Sunday morning. Do you confess your sins every day? Do you? Do you confess your sins to God, certainly, but then also to each other? Do you repent when you've sinned against others? And, and do you forgive every day? The reason why we have the Declaration of Pardon every week is for us to remember who we are and that God has forgiven us. But Paul will say later in the chapter, forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. Do you forgive as regularly and as, and as speedily as God forgives? Until you get there, keep practicing. It's going to be the rest of your life, don't worry. But that's what we should... If we don't forgive then we're engaging in the very anger and bitterness that Paul says to put away. We hear God's word every Sunday. Do you hear God's word every day? Now, you can do this by, by reading your Bible, or if you're not a reader, you can listen to it on an audio book. But, but don't read or listen passively. Read, listen actively. Engage with what you're hearing. Meditate on it. Reflect on it. Pray about it. As Paul will say later in our chapter, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We, we pray for one another every Sunday. Do you pray with and for one another every day? Do you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another? If you look down at verse 16, Paul doesn't say, when you go to church, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Ah, it's actually... He's talking about daily life. How often are we singing to one another throughout our week? And we partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. What does that mean for every day? Well, in the Lord's Supper, we partake of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this supper, the Holy Spirit offers us a true communion in Christ's glorious life. So so in the supper... We are gathered not merely on planet earth, but we are gathered with all of God's people at the throne of heaven. Well, when Paul says to be heavenly minded, he doesn't just say, well, on Sundays, be heavenly minded. The rest of the week, be earthly minded. Yeah, right. So every time you break bread, remember what we do here in the Lord's Supper. Why do Christians pray before every meal? You'll, if, you, if you study the scriptures, you'll look in vain for any command that says you must pray before every meal. So why has it become such a seemingly universal tradition in the Christian church that we pray before meals? Because the church has always recognized that every meal reminds us, connects us back to this meal, which is the one that points us to the heavenly meal. So this is where everything we do is drawn back to the heavenly-mindedness that Paul commands for us. Now, over the last few months, I've, I've been hearing people comment on how they feel disconnected, like they, they don't really have a lot of close friends. 
part of this is, I mean, we just endured a global pandemic that cut us off from each other. And it can be, it can take time to rebuild some of that. At the same time, over the last three years, we've added 20 new families at Michiana Covenant. That means there are a lot of you who came sort of in and around this pandemic and it was hard to, when it was hard to connect. And that's where the combination of lots of new people and lots of disruption in relationship means that this is actually a really good time to try to connect. Now, it's a bit more challenging because when, when you first move to town, that's sort of the time to do it, right? I, I know the feeling because I started off at Messianic Covenant as pulpit supply. So I was just preaching. I didn't really have any pastoral care for the congregation. And when, you know, three years later, when they asked me to be their pastor, it was a little awkward, sort of like, okay, and now I'm sort of like, and now I have a new relationship. And, you know, all the things that I, I had learned about sort of, okay, when you first, when you first start your pastorate, here's the things. It's like, okay, they don't apply anymore because there's already some sort of relationship here, but it's just, so all the, you know, maybe some of you, oh, we've, we've, we've moved before, and, but now it's hard, it seems like harder. Yeah, it is, because we're starting from scratch in a way. But this is where, don't focus on trying to find someone who shares your earthly interests. Look for those who share your heavenly interests. And you're like, okay, how do I do that? Well, uh, start by praying. If it's going to be heavenly minded, then that's where you should always start. But pray that God will help you to seek the things that are above where Christ is. Pray that the Holy Spirit will direct you to others who want to do the same. And I know this is the awkward part, but when you're talking to somebody after church today, say, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a friend who wants to seek Christ better. <laughs> you want to do that together? Okay, sure, that feels awkward to, to do it, say it out loud. But as you practice, as you seek the things that are above, you'll find yourself connecting with others who are seeking the same things. Because this is simply what it means to be heavenly-minded and not earthly-minded and not focused on our own selfish pursuits but seeking heavenly things. So let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we do help, thank you and we, we praise you for your great kindness to us in Jesus. And we pray that you would help us because we have been too earthly-minded. We have not sought first the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have not sought the things that are above. We have pursued our own selfish passions and pleasures and we have not loved you with a whole heart. We haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. So forgive us, Lord, and help us to help us to love you and love others the way you have loved, that we might seek first the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ together as we walk as your people, as one body. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.